Hello, I'm very pleased you could join us on Search for Truth. Uh, today, our Bible teacher Brian continues his studies in the New Testament with the final talk in this series of six lessons, uh, which have been from the Bible letter of James. Now, if you've been following the programs over the last five weeks, I hope, like me, that you've found them really helpful. And we're in James chapter 5 this time, the final chapter. So if you want to follow, have your Bible ready. When uh, Brian reads the verses, you'll be able to follow. So now let's go over to Brian for our final talk on James. Thank you. Previously, we've heard James reprimanding rich merchants for excluding God from their business travel plans while assuming their future was guaranteed. In reality, James reminded them not only are riches uncertain, but life itself is uncertain, while God holds the key of all unknown. We've also heard James tackle serious lifestyle issues within the believing community. Both these ideas come together again as he now begins chapter 5, his final chapter, and this is how he begins it. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you, and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the labourers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. So you have lived luxuriously on the earth, and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. It seems that wealthy landowners were not treating their workers biblically or even humanely. The law of God in the Old Testament required labourers not to be kept waiting for their pay at the end of the day. They, as some still do today, live from day to day with no margins and no reserve. Receiving a day's pay at the end of the day is a basic survival issue. And some of these workers, by having their pay withheld, were simply not surviving. By contrast, the landowners were stockpiling wealth in the various forms that were current then. They were flaunting their wealth even as their unpaid labourers were dying. It could even be that there's a connection or overlap here with the pleasure-pursuing believers of chapter 4 who were committing murder. In effect, that's what's happening here. And they were self-deceived into living purely for the here and now. They had lost sight of these days being the last days. That's the time between the two advents of Christ. James will shortly bring before his readers the fact of the Lord's soon return. He says, and likely with the afflicted poor in mind, he says in chapter 5 verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. 
But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. James encourages the patience of these field labourers, as we've seen, by fittingly directing them to the example of the farmer who had to anxiously endure a four-month gap between seed time and harvest, spending his time on the lookout for the early rains soon after sowing and the late ripening rains just before harvest in the spring of the year. The faithful farmer had God's promise to rest on, and so had they which should relieve any tendency to make rash utterances and irreverent oaths by being totally truthful in ordinary speech and everyday things. What tended to happen back then, with minds affected by impatience or exasperated by the trials of life that James has dealt with earlier, what tended to happen back then was that people took God's name or some pharisaical substitute or even the mention of the place of his throne or his footstool, they took that name lightly on their lips. I'm sure James would be shocked at the prevalence of this in society today. The letters OMG represent this detestable practice today of an empty uttering of the words, Oh my God, which is so commonly accepted, sadly, that even professing Christians frequently use it. Christians, of all people, should sensitively guard against the fashionable misuse of God's name by its thoughtless mention in general conversation. Having dealt with wrong speech in chapter 3 of his letter, James will now close his letter by concentrating positively on correct speech, as when we address ourselves to God in prayer, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins one to another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Well, I doubt if James realised when he wrote this ending to his letter just how much discussion and controversy it had given rise to. Let's see if we can demystify it somewhat. To begin with, when he talks about someone who is sick, he uses two words which describe a state of weakness and weariness. It's one of the tasks of church leaders that they are to help the weak, and of course it's elders who are called for here and not apostles. The elders are called upon to be the active agents in the restoration which is envisaged here. The word restore continues to keep open the thought of a malaise that's spiritual as well as physical, something that chimes also with the wording, if he has committed sins. At the very end of his letter, James makes a similar point about turning a sinner from the error of his ways. This is all contained in this section 
which mentions the effective praying of those who are righteous, in other words, those whose sins are already forgiven and who are living in the truth and trying to lend a hand to others. As we say, the emphasis is on prayer and not on the use of the oil, even in the matter of the called-for anointing. This is made all the clearer as the translation properly urges prayer having anointed him with oil in the name of the Lord. The use of the oil was the lesser part, carried out before prayer commenced, and perhaps being a stimulus to faith as necessary for the prayer of faith. However, while we're mentioning the anointing with the oil, we should make the point that there were two available words for anointing, both available for James to use. One was used for religious or ritual or sacred anointing, and from it we get the term Christ as the anointed one. The other word deals generally with the type of mundane and revivifying oil rub which we find being used by the Good Samaritan. To this day in parts of the world, the medicinal rubbing in of oil is a common form of treatment. James in this section uses the non-religious word. What this leaves open to us is the understanding that the duty of care laid upon the elders in the case of a person who was languishing like this was to come as requested and first of all ensure the current best medical treatment of the day was being undertaken and then to commend its use to God in prayer, which was prayer offered in faith and in accordance with the name of the Lord. The impression of some sort of ceremony being conducted here is definitely diluted by the fact that James could have chosen, under divine superintendence, the word signifying ceremonial anointing, but he didn't. As we've said, the general word he used had then to do with the rubbing on of salves and and lotions, which were oil-based, as extensively then used on athletes in gymnastic schools, etc., from which it could be concluded that instead of teaching ritual healing apart from medicine, the passage teaches the exact opposite. Emphasis thus seems to be prayer with medicine, or having medicated, then major on praying. Significantly, the sick are to leave the results in God's hands. This use of olive oil was one of the best remedial agencies known to the ancients. They used it internally and externally. Some physicians prescribe it today. It's clear that medicinal value is attached to the use of the oil and emphasis is placed on the worth of prayer. There's absolutely nothing here of the ideas of pagan magic or of the later practice of extreme unction, which only came in after the 8th century. The bottom line here is that in James we have prayer and medicine, that is, God and the doctor. And that's precisely where we are today. The best physicians believe in God and want the help of prayer. Do not carry everything to God.
Well, sadly, we've come to the end of our studies of James, and we move on to the triumph of Christ next week. But now to sum up with some information. First, if you'd like to have the booklet, which is a transcript of this whole series of Brian's talks on the letter of James, it's available and it's free. You can have more than one copy if you're going to use them for group study or to pass on to friends, but uh, just make sure to let us have your postal address, otherwise you won't get them. Uh, Ask for the title, Lessons from James. Now, there are also back issues of other titles which you might like to download via the internet, but I'll tell you about that in a moment. First, here's our postal and email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And now, our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, as I said before, you can also download audio versions of some past programmes. Go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk This is our main church website where you can access all kinds of useful material. Now, some past titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks. And when you get to the search box, just type in Search for Truth series and you'll find a growing list of transcript books pops up and you can choose from them if you want to. Now, we've really appreciated your company today and uh, many thanks too for your interest in these programmes. I hope you find them useful. Next week begins a new series, as I said, about the triumph of Christ crucified. So make sure you tune in, same time, same place. We look forward to having your company again then, but until next week, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye until next week, and may God richly bless you. Oh,